I'm Heidi Harris. This is the Heidi Harris Show podcast. I do this a couple of times a week. You can subscribe for free at iTunes. You can also catch my live radio broadcast 8 to 10 a.m. weekdays at 6.70 a.m. KMZQ. Earlier in the week on my live radio broadcast, I was joined by Robert Spencer from jihadwatch.org. We were talking about this horrible case in Michigan where some doctors were charged with female genital mutilation of little girls. Now, if you don't know what that is, you need to look it up. It's barbaric. It's not the same thing as what they do with little boys. It's terrible. It can be debilitating in many cases. Young ladies have died around the world as a result of this. This is not natural. And yes, it's taking place in America. And a judge actually ruled that it's not constitutional to charge these doctors here in America and he thinks it should be a state's rights issue. It's horrible to me. It goes against everything America stands for. Robert Spencer joined me once again on my live radio broadcast. Robert Spencer, welcome back to the Heidi Harris Show. Always great to be here, Heidi. Thank you. As for this case in Michigan, were you surprised at this? Were you shocked at the judge's reasoning? Yeah, I was very surprised because this has been illegal for years, and actually this trial is the first time that anybody has been prosecuted under this law, but the law's been in the, on the books, seems to be pretty straightforward. You know, this is something that harms women for life, and uh, it's very clear why it should be illegal, but the district judge, Bernard Friedman, said that the Congress doesn't actually have the authority to make FGM illegal, which is a very strange argument, I thought. I mean, why wouldn't it? Under On what grounds can it possibly be justified that... Congress doesn't have the authority to protect citizens in this way. But uh, in any case, so now it looks as if the prosecute, the first and only prosecution of uh, anybody who's committed this is quashed now, and uh, the situation is very ambiguous in terms of the legality of the practice altogether. This is doubly disturbing because the defendants, the two doctors, Jamana Nagarwala and Fakhruddin Attar, were Muslims who claimed that this was part of their religion, and thus it was a matter of their religious freedom. And now it looks as if they've won out with that argument, which is very disturbing, because Islamic terrorists can also say what they're doing is exercising their religious freedom. And if we can't act against this, then they will be able to do whatever they want with impunity. Well, that's true. We're speaking with Robert Spencer from Jihad Watch. That is so important. They're t- basically, the judge is arguing that the government, he said that, that only that Congress had the authority to criminalize FGM based on the necessary and proper clause and the commerce clause. And one of the things that the judge mentioned about this is that this is not a commerce issue. Well, yeah, it is because money's being made off this. And these girls, some of them were brought from out of state to have this done. Yeah, as a matter of fact, the case was brought against Jumana Nagawala and Fakhruddin Attar based on two girls from Minnesota Mm -hmm. who were taken to Detroit in order to have this procedure done by their parents. And so it seems to me that his argument based on the Commerce Clause is just ridiculous on its face. Yeah, that is ridiculous. I mean, and, and, you know, obviously this shocks the sensibilities of Americans, and there are some feminist groups who are speaking out, not as many as there should be, but there are some feminist groups who are upset about this. I mean, this kind of stuff just isn't tolerated. You want to come to America, you want our freedom, you want all the huge benefits that we have here, then you're going to have to just deal with some of the standards that we have, and it's not okay to do this in America. Yeah, precisely. And the problem, of course, is that despite mainstream media denials, which continue constantly, this is something that is approved of in the Islamic religion. And that's why it's so common with 99% of women in Egypt, 93% of women in Malaysia, and so on. It's all so common in the Islamic world. 
and nobody wants to touch it in the West because they don't want to appear offensive to Muslims. You know, this basically butchering of women. Where, where did this come from, Robert? I know you've written a lot of books on the history of, by the way, your latest is the history of jihad from Muhammad to ISIS. We're speaking with Robert Spencer. Where did this FGM, where did this originate, this kind of thinking that you need to butcher women? Well, the idea is that they have to be controlled, that women have to be controlled. And so you take away their sexual desire, sexual response, then they're easier to control. That is what's behind it. And this is something that is justified in the Islamic text where Muhammad said that circumcision is a law for men and a preservation of honor for women. And so most of the schools of Islamic law say that this is something that's required for women, and some of them say that it's not obligatory, but it is recommended. Yeah, because women are considered, what, they're not as marriageable if they haven't had this done in some screwed-up cultures because of this? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, sure. And it's the idea that women are commodities. They're possessions of men, and so they can't have their own feelings, their own desires, their own uh, sensations. All this has to be restricted and strictly controlled. Yeah, we're not going to get into the details on it. I recommend anybody go on the Internet and look up what the details of what this what it involves. It really is butchery of women. We're speaking with Robert Spencer once again from Jihad Watch. You know, uh, you, to your point about terrorists possibly losing or using this particular ruling to benefit their case, I mean, that is a huge concern also, not just about the FGM, but about other terrorists using things, you know, say, well, I can do this in America because it's all about my religious freedom. It's amazing, Heidi, really. I speak all around the country all the time, and many, many times people have said to me, after they hear what I present about the Quran, about Islam, about Muhammad, about the history of jihad, uh, they say, look, uh, this is all very well and good, but this is, we have the First Amendment in the United States, and they have their religious freedom, and this is part of their religion. And I try to explain to them, look, nobody, the founding fathers, the framers of the Bill of Rights, never envisioned the First Amendment freedom of religion as being some sort of license to break other laws. And the, uh, the idea that, the, uh, that FGM is permitted or that jihad terror activity is permitted because it's, part of, it's something that is approved of in a religion ought to be absurd on its face to anyone. Because, you know, what if I said that my religion involves uh, stealing large amounts of money and uh, killing people. Well, I, nobody would take that seriously, and they shouldn't take it seriously for this uh, this religion that is established either. Yeah, it's just frightening. And they're, they're, one of the things that the judge mentioned in this, his ruling, he said the government also contends that FGM is an illegal form of health care, and since Congress can regulate health care, it can regulate FGM. And then, of course, they went on and you know, he kind of disputed that. But it really is an illegal form because you're butchering somebody, you're doing it medically, and the doctors did it medically at a medical clinic with Valium and other things involved in it. So this is a medical procedure that's, that should be illegal and was illegal and still is in a couple of states. No, absolutely, yeah. And the, the terrible thing about it is, is that it is illegal, it has been illegal, but nobody's been prosecuted for it up until now, and now these prosecutions have gone nowhere. Uh, and so the problem is that, yeah, sure, it's illegal, but everybody's too afraid of offending Islamic communities to actually enforce the law. See, that's what it comes down to. And is this going to go before the Supreme Court? I would certainly hope somebody would push it to that level. Uh, yeah, I certainly hope so. And I don't know, I don't have any direct information about that, but this is only a district judge, and so he ought to be overturned on this. Absolutely. It should go to the circuit. It has to work its way up, but it's it's just shocking to me. And, of course, you look at this and you think, if this were some other procedure or Christians were doing something, I guarantee you the judge would find that the Christians were at fault. Yeah, no doubt about it. And 
you often find Islamic apologists saying, well, Christians do this too. And actually that's true. But it only is true in places where they're, they're, the Christians are in an overwhelmingly majority Muslim culture. And so it's clearly something that comes from Islam, is justified in Islam. Obviously, it has no justification in Christianity or any other religion, uh, but the influence of the culture can make non-Muslims do it. That does not change, however, the fact that this is something that's justified only in Islam and should be understood as such, because if we never deal with the causes of why this is happening, then we're never really going to be able to eradicate this practice. Absolutely. We're speaking with Robert Spencer from jihadwatch.org. The history of jihad is his latest book. It's called From Muhammad to ISIS. Uh, huge, great reviews on your new book. Yeah, well, I'm very happy with how it's been received, and it's in its fourth printing now. It's demand has far exceeded expectations, and so that's all to the good because I think that the history of jihad is something that very few Americans know about, and if it were widely known, particularly in Washington, there would be a lot of changes to public policies, a lot of our foreign policy in regard to this threat, and domestic policy too, for that matter, is based on wishful thinking, that uh, we're somehow going to be the first country ever where large numbers of Muslims have come, and yet they have never tried to wage jihad or to impose Islamic law. That's just uh, uh, hoping against hope that suddenly they're going to change their behavior from how they have acted for 1,400 years. Now, why is that? Is it because so many people in America are armed? Is that why they kind of tamp it down in America to a large extent, or what do you think? No, what you have in the history of Islam is when Muslims are a small minority, as they are in the United States, then they preach tolerance and peace. <laughs> but as their numbers grow, then they become more aggressive and start to ask for uh, the imposition of various Islamic laws until finally the imposition of Sharia is complete. Let's talk a little bit about the journalist Jamal Khashoggi and his murder. Nobody's surprised that the order to murder Khashoggi went all the way to the top of the Saudis. We know that. Uh, and there's a lot of pressure on Donald Trump to turn his back on the Saudis. What do you think he should do at this point? I love the fact that he, well, we're not sure it was the king. Yeah, we are. Uh, so what do you think yeah. Donald Trump should do at this point? I think he should do what he's doing, actually. Um, the fact is that I think that the, the outrage over Khashoggi is, is outstandingly hypocritical. The Saudis have always been a repressive regime. It's always been known. And many, many other presidents have been very close to the Saudis. Uh, I have denounced that alliance for many years, and I hope that ultimately it will be ended. But the reality is on the ground in the Middle East right now that Barack Obama empowered and enabled the Islamic Republic of Iran to finance global terrorist organizations. And Trump is trying to restrain the Islamic Republic of Iran. He doesn't need to make the Saudis into an enemy right now. He needs them to stand as a bulwark against Iran. And so it's all to the good that he's not losing his head about this and not succumbing to pressure. I think that's important. Now, you know he's probably listening to people like Mike Pompeo, who probably see it the same way you do, that right now we just got to be a little circumspect in how we behave about this. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, it, the fact is, there are no good guys over there. Of course. We can't point to some group and say, those are the Western-style, secular, democratic, <laughs> Middle Eastern Thomas <laughs> Jeffersons, and we'll support them. There aren't any people like that. And so uh, it's going to be the Saudis or somebody worse. We should stick with the Saudis for now. I have always been a critic of this alliance. I think we should be working to disengage. But when we're talking about the Islamic Republic of Iran and its attempts to gain hegemony over the Middle East, and to spread its uh, jihad adventurism around the world, 
then the Saudis don't look so bad in that light. Yeah, there are times that you need to hang on to your enemies at least for a while, at least, at least play nice in public. And Donald Trump's not the best at that, but it sounds like he's playing this very well at this point. Yeah. Uh, speaking of, you had something on your website I thought was interesting. The Islamic Republic of Pakistan informing the U.N. they've got an initiative, and basically they want to criminalize anybody who criticizes Islam. Could you expand on that? Yeah, they say, you know, we want to criminalize uh, insults to religious figures, but it's very clear. They don't care about insults to Judaism or Christianity or Hinduism or Buddhism. They're only upset because people criticize Muhammad because there are Muhammad cartoons and so on. So what they want to do is intimidate the West via the United Nations into accepting these Sharia blasphemy prohibitions on criticism of Muhammad. The problem is that a free society depends on the freedom of speech. If you say that in the, any group is beyond criticism, cannot be criticized, then that group has a license to do whatever it wants and can uh, extend its tyranny over you. And so we have to understand what this Pakistani initiative really is and fight it, or else uh, the more the West gives into this, and many, many people in the West are inclined to give into it, the, more, the less free we will all be. We're speaking with Robert Spencer from Jihad Watch. You know what's interesting to me is that there are people who will get mad at America about gay rights or women's rights or things like that, and they'll point to Christianity many times or America in general, and they'll never look to these other countries where the atrocities are all day, every day. Are they afraid of Islam, or are they just blind to what goes on in countries where they throw gay people off buildings? We don't do that here, thank God. Uh, wh where does it come from? Well, I think that for a lot of people who are leftists, feminists included, they uh, are focused entirely on the right as being the enemy. And so they see the right as being uh, – they, they will ally with anybody against conservatives, including these people who are the quintessential non-feminist uh, Islamic jihadis. And so they see it's sort of the enemy of my enemy – is my friend kind of game, yeah. and ultimately it's going to backfire on them, of course, because the jihadis are not going to spare them. Of course not. They're going to be the first ones they toss. That's that's what's so shocking to me is they don't look at this. Where's the outrage at the things that are going on every single day in, in the Middle East? And people just aren't paying attention, I guess. Or, they, or like you said, they choose to ignore it. Yes, absolutely. Uh, they They think that, well, you know, also, we have to say, Heidi, that the Islamic advocacy groups in the United States like the Council on American-Islamic Relations, the Islamic Society of North America, and so on, uh, they have very skillfully played the race card and claimed that any kind of criticism of Islam, even opposition to jihad terror, is uh, racism, bigotry, uh, xenophobia, Islamophobia, and so on. And as a result, they've been, uh, by doing that, they really have uh, been able to manipulate the left into supporting them uh, and falling into line, because, of course, racism is the worst thing uh, as far as the American body politic is concerned. And so if you are able to press your claim as being racist, then the left will fall in and support you. Robert, what kind of grade would you give Donald Trump for the way he's handled things in the Middle East and the Islamic world two and a half years into his presidency? I'd give him a B, uh, which is pretty high grade for me. I haven't given any president over an F for many years. Uh, but he, uh, you know, he, he was speaking about the fact that this is Islamic jihad, and he's kind of retreated from that uh, and has uh, started to speak more generally of terrorism. This is important because Barack Obama in 2011 
deleted all mention of Islam and jihad from counterterror training, which is disastrous if you think about the fact that you have to know your enemy in order to defeat him, and he was removing our ability to do that. And so the president should have moved swiftly to enable, once again, counterterror analysts to study the motivating ideology behind jihad terror, but that has still not yet been done. Otherwise, in terms of what he's done in standing up to intimidation and moving the Israeli embassy, the embassy in Israel to Jerusalem, and in, uh, in, in dealing realistically with Iran and firmly with Iran, that's all, that's all been great. How many criminals do you think, people who intend to do us harm, jihadis, might be traveling with this caravan trying to bust our doors down? Well, we know two, two details about that. We know that the president of Guatemala, uh, Jimmy Morales, said that he had uh, arrested 100 Bangladeshis who were trying to join, who were in his country. He didn't actually say they were trying to join the caravan, but I don't know what else they would have been doing there. Right. And uh, also there was an Univision reporter, the Spanish language news service, who said that he witnessed Bangladeshis joining the uh, caravan. Bangladesh is a hotbed of ISIS today. And just a couple weeks ago in Laredo, Texas, there were six Bangladeshis caught within a 12-hour period trying to cross the border there. And so I think that it's very likely that this is uh, something that is being that the caravan is being exploited and that there are jihadis among them. Wish I knew the number, but nobody does, of course. Nobody does. And listen, I'm sure the caravan's being exploited by all kinds of people, uh, traffickers and uh, terrorists and all kinds of folks. Everybody jumps on the bandwagon. It's uh, pretty scary. But so far, Trump's standing by him, and he's sh- I mean, standing against him, and he should be. Robert Spencer, the latest book is The History of Jihad from Muhammad to ISIS. Great book. A lot of people are loving it. Of course, you've written multiple books on Islam, and you keep us updated with jihadwatch.org every single day. Thank you, Robert Spencer, for always being so kind to take time with me. Always a pleasure, Heidi. Thank you. I appreciate your insight. Thanks a bunch. It is always a privilege to have Robert Spencer. I followed him for years, and it's his insight is very, very important, especially now. I'm Heidi Harris. Join me for my live radio broadcast weekdays, 8 to 10 a.m., 670 a.m. KMZQ in Las Vegas. And, of course, you can subscribe to this podcast at Heidi Harris Show on iTunes. Until we meet again, remember, God's got it, and you were created for a purpose. Here's Tony Scottwell. 